Welcome to the Institute of World Politics podcast. IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. To learn more, please visit www.iwp.edu. Welcome, everybody. My name is Paul Coyer. I'm a research professor here at the Institute of World Politics. For those of you who have not been here before, um, a lot of people think that IWP is a think tank. Um, <clears throat> we, uh, we do think, but we are not a think tank. We uh, are in graduate school. Um, and uh, we do have uh, several of master's programs. We just started a PhD program last year in uh, national security. Uh, we have, uh, I believe, 17, approximately maybe 18 now, different one-year certificates. Um, so anyway, that's, that's who we are. Let me introduce you to uh, panelists, uh, starting with myself, like I said, my name is Paul Coyer, I'm a research professor here. I spent some time this summer in, in Iraq looking, uh, meeting the, the Yazidis, Christian communities there, um, seeing what can be done to help. Um, I will uh, move over, moving this direction from me to my left is Loe Mikhail. Loe is the, the head of the Foreign Relations Committee of the Chaldean Syriac Assyrian Popular Council as well as its representative in Washington, D.C. He served as a translator to U.S. troops in Iraq um, and is now living in Old Town, Alexandria. Uh, he serves as a senior advisor to Iraq Haven. Full disclosure, I'm also with Iraq Haven and our previous leader, Stephen Hollingshead, is here in the full position. Um, and and what, what he's working on with us is an NGO that seeks to create secured special economic zones within Iraq that enable Iraq's ethnic and religious minorities to return to their homes rather than being forced to flee um, and to rebuild their lives. Uh, Loy is also deputy chairman of the Soraya Charity Organization at the end of a plane. He's previously worked as operations manager for the Mines Advisory Group uh, as well as for UNESCO. Speaks English, Arabic, Kurdish, and Neo Aramaic. Right? Very impressive. Uh, he's published in numerous uh, newspapers and journals as a regular speaker and conference participants, uh, particularly on, on this sort of issue, on the challenges facing Christians in Iraq and the broader Middle East. Um, next is Sinam Mohammed. Sinam is a Syrian Kurd and a representative of the Syrian Democratic Council to the United States. Um, Syrian Democratic Council is the ruling body that governs approximately 30% of northeastern Syria. Which governing body is made up of Kurdish Muslims, Arab Muslims, Syriac and Armenian Christians, etc., etc., and is premised on freedom of religion, mutual tolerance, and pluralism? Uh, she and Bassan will talk much more about that later and about what a, a positive experiment that can be in, in a region that desperately needs examples of this sort of thing. Um, Syrian Democratic Forces, which have uh, which have partnered with the U.S. and allied militaries in the fight against the Islamic State are the military forces of the Syrian Democratic Council. So these two, both Hassan and Sinam, are with that organization. She was born in Damascus, Syria, earned an English literature degree from the University of Aleppo. I won't tell you what year. Um, she's very young. Uh, she was co-president of the People's Council of Rojava, uh, Syria, Kurdistan, the supreme political body of the liberated areas of northern and northeastern Syria from 2011 to 14, when it was superseded by the current uh, SDC. She's also a member of the leadership of the Star Congress, which is a movement that advocates for women's rights in Syria. She was nominated for the Syrian parliament twice in 2003 and 2007, uh, but found that she couldn't gain much headway because of her Kurdish identity. Um, last, but certainly not least, is Bassam Ishak. Uh, Bassam is a Syriac Christian native of northeastern province of 
uh, Hasakat. Am I saying that correctly? I do not speak Arabic. I apologize. Um, Mr. Ishak is a longtime resident, uh, a longtime dissident of the Ba'ath regime in Syria. We're going to talk a little later on about how about the negative legacy of Ba'athism in both Syria and Iraq. So he'll be a unique place to talk about that. Born in Damascus in 1959, still uh, spring chicken. Uh, the son of the late Saeed Ishak, longtime member of the Syrian parliament. Bassam uh, uh, Ishak was executive director of the organization Syrian Human Rights in Damascus from 2004 till late 2011, and was travel banned by the Syrian regime from 2006 to mid-2011 for his human rights activities. Um, Mr. Ishak twice ran for the Syrian parliament in his, in his native uh, region of Hasaka and received the highest votes of independent candidates, but was denied his seat by the Assad regime. He basically refused to play ball in terms of corruption. Um, I've heard this story before. It's, uh, it's, it's ubiquitous throughout the Middle East and in Syria. He was forced to leave Syria in September 2011. Since then, he's been working, uh, active in working to build a democratic, pluralistic Syria from outside of his homeland. In August of 2012, Mr. Ishaq co-founded with other Syrian activists, NGOs, and independent uh, Syrian Syria politicians, the Syriac National Council of Syria. Uh, I've already referenced that. Um, he has a bachelor's degree in civil engineering from Catholic University of America right here in Washington, D.C., and a master's in the management of ethno-political conflict, which is, uh, is fortuitous given his activities. Um, he's married with three children. Uh, I could go on and on with their bios, all extremely impressive people, but that would take too much time. Uh, let's start with, uh, with Loe, if we could. Could you give a, a brief synopsis of the state of Christianity in Iraq, where it's come from, where it is now, some of the dynamics that are causing Christians to flee? Uh, we all know about ISIS. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit about that and others as well. Um, just give us a brief one. Yeah, okay, thank you. Tom. Thank you, Paul, for that, and I'd like also thank the Institute of World Politics for hosting this. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak. Uh, mostly what I'm going to say here, I think it's kind of a reputation for many of you here, because you all know what happened to the Christians, to the uh, Yazidis, to other minorities in Iraq, and also to many uh, other part groups like Kurds and, and, and many Sunni, many Shower impacted by the ISIS. Uh, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to, like, it's, it's sad to say of, of what happened since 2003 until now to the Christians and Yazidis and, and, and other minorities. I mean, Iraqi Christians are ethnically uh, Chaldean, Syriac, Assyrian uh, people, and they are Christians, and the Christianity was brought to the Iraq uh, since the first century of Christianity was found in Iraq. And uh, th there's an old church in Iraq, in, in Baghdad, it's called uh, Church. So when they, when, they, when they appoint somebody to become the lead, religious leader in, in, in the in the uh, Iraq and some other places, he have to go to the, this church because it's very ancient and old, and uh, to, to be like uh, to be least there in, in that church. Imagine like how the, the ancient history is there. So even now, anywhere you dig, anywhere you excavate, you will find the Christians, uh, Assyrians, and, and, and Chaldeans. The uh, you will find their their uh, place in, in four thousand years ago, three two thousand years ago. Christians were 1.5 million, 1.5, 1.6 million people are, say, different numbers in, in uh, Iraq before 2003. And now their number has been shrunk to between 2,100 to 2,050, maybe the last, because... 200, 250 
Yeah, 250,000. We don't know the estimate number because these numbers we get it from NGOs that are on the ground, the political parties that are on the ground as well. But it's very, very, uh, very sad to see what happened to them. There was there were Christians all over Iraq from Basra, Baghdad, Mosul, Duhok, Erbil, and, and all elsewhere. But when 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 Iraq when Saddam Hussein was removed. So, uh, like uh, there was lack of security on the ground. There was a uh, a lot of uh, conflict, political conflict between political blocks. That people want to have power. People want to take over the government. So those people they become victims in between the big political blocks, big big political parties. Uh, the conflict between Sunni Shia, Arab, and Kurds, and we became the, the scapegoat. In between of, of those uh, of those uh, people, so they escaped from Basra. There were several thousands of them. They came to Baghdad. They they faced the same thing: kidnapping, killing, uh, uh, torture, torture, and, and confiscating of their house and lands. From Mosul, from Baghdad, they they went to, to they came to uh, Mosul. Same thing happened to Mosul because of Al Qaeda and, and other affiliation groups to Al Qaeda. And they came to the Nimba plane as, as a kind of secure place where it's a, like they thought they can survive. But ashes came to those areas in 2014, uh, took over Mosul and, and took over Nimba plane, and they fled to the north side to find shelter. And then now like, there are 10,000 in, in Turkey, 11,000 in, in Beirut. Uh, 7,000 in Jordan, Amman, you know, they, they are all over places now without without any future, without any any education, without any, not being helped because of, of uh, nobody's like willing to do something about that situation. Uh, uh, Iraqi government is busy with other big things. Uh, there are a lot of uh, division in Iraqi government itself. And also among our communities, there are a lot of divisions because like there are political parties that religious leaders each each of them is trying to go with with a bigger group to try to help others but and unfortunately we've been like we've been fragmented because of that thing you know if you go with 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 this side you will be blamed you will be attacked by by certain groups same thing here so and, and there's no really future for those Christians in Iraq unless if we unless if we create create a, a Another opportunity for them to stay, like jobs, uh, school, security. Again, we need to restore this, these things back again. Otherwise, it will not happen. Because since 2004, they've been attacked severely by ISIS and other uh, other places. And as you know, the United States declared genocide against them. The resolution HR 75, the House and Senate passed the resolution on, on the when when Obama was uh, 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 president. We pushed with it carries that because they were trying to exclude the Christians from the genocide uh, designation. So we pushed it hard with all NGOs, all organizations behind it. Eventually that was declared by, and also in, with a new president, with a new administration, that they emphasized that there was genocide taking place on, on Iraq under the ISIS uh, attack. And um, so there, there are areas like Nidva Plain, Musa and other areas were liberated. Three years ago, but those people they're still in a very desperate situation. Nobody is willing to helping them. And if you go to speak with any family, what do you want? They will say, "We want a security. We want jobs." 
We want, we want to restore our dignity back by those. Stop giving us food and, and, and blankets and pillows because we, we don't want to miss those things. We want to restore our dignity back again. And how can, how can those people restore their dignity back again is to give them jobs so they can, they can work and, and provide for the families. If you, give, if you go now to Iraq and, and, and go to the camps, Christian camps, Yazidi camps, there are people selling their food baskets because they have many of them. So they're trying to sell them before they get expired and they can get some cash. So they can put their schools, their, their children to school. They can buy shoes to their, to their children. Instead of giving them food, food, food. No, we need to teach them how to, how to restore their dignity back. So we need to teach them how to, they can walk back again and then help each other again. And instead, like, stop giving them food. Like, but the, as, as you know, as you mentioned, Iraq Hagen, uh, I'm glad Stephen Alton said, he's our director. He went to Iraq for one month and, and, and for one month. So he, he, he tried to figure out what is the solution. We, we've been pushing since a year or one and a half year ago that the only solution is there to, to create jobs. Without creating jobs, you can't have those people to go back to their homes and towns. So with the jobs, you can have security. With the jobs, you can, you, people can walk. And you don't have to afford them, give them food anymore. So yeah, I think this is the, for, for, in my opinion, that's only solution. And then I hope that will go. And as you know, like uh, uh, President, uh, not, Vice President Mike Pence uh, initiated, like, uh, initiated uh, initiative of that. We need to help those minorities directly. The food, the money should go, not to you, and they should go to those NGOs. But Paul, I want to tell you something. Those people, they don't have control in their home, on their lands, on their homes, on their villages. So the aid will not go to them directly unless if we help them to, to, to get their homes and towns back and have security. Because those areas that they live in right now, that we think that belongs to the Christians, which so far not, the, the, the aid it go, must go, it goes to the local authorities and those people, they, they, they don't have power, they don't have local authority to those areas. So we, we need to stop that, we can send aid directly. You, you can do it in very large, in, in very large amount of money, like you can send $50,000, dollars to some NGO, but that doesn't mean you are solving the problem. So you this, yeah, you can't throw money there. Well, this is, yeah. It's a very complex situation. Yeah. We've spent a lot of time on, on this. Um, we, uh, um, part of the issue with our limited time today is we have two very complex countries to discuss. Uh, let's pivot over to Sinan and talk a little bit about, about Syria. Um, and I'll let you and Bassam divide up a few minutes as you as you yeah. see fit. You can collaborate, to collaborate together and go back and forth if you wish because you're both going to cover a lot of the same ground. Um, but tell us a little bit about the, uh, the experiment in pluralistic governance that you all are attempting to, to see in northeastern Syria. Why uh, American support is so crucial to that surviving and some of the dynamics going on there right now. Yes. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I would like first to thank the Institute of World Politics, Mr. Paulson to organize this panel today. And uh, I have even, I can't go talking without mentioning today, the date is 1st of November, which means a lot for the people in the north of Syria. 
Today is the International Day for the Solidarity with the Kubani. And Kubani is, before four years, being attacked by ISIS and then being liberated by the SDF or YPG at that time, YPG, and with the international coalition led by US. So I would like to thank everyone who participated in, liber in, in liberating this city of Kobani, especially the United States, and even the people, the individual people who were there for the humanity, for the sake of humanity and peace in the area. And mentioning Kobani today, I would like also to here focus on what was happening before two days back. Just again, Turkish bombed Kubanis once more. And even they bombed the Tal Aviad and Serikaniya, which is called in the north of Syria. So this happened two days back, and still it is going on today also. They bombed in uh, uh, Tal Aviad, where there is a girl, 11 years old, lost her lives. This is happening at the same time while the SDF, our forces, which is till now they are in the front line against, I mean, fighting against terrorists of ISIS, and at the same time, the Turkey, they are bombing our places in the north of Syria. So this makes us very, you know, that uh, in this bomb, it could make strengthen the ISIS to come back again to the area because now they are fighting in the last or final place in their zone. But if, if this happened, now the forces of Syrian democratic forces would be not be able to work on two fronts. So this will affect the ISIS fighting there and will strengthen ISIS there and even it will make this destabilization in the area. Now we need to have the stability in our region. Our region, which we are talking about the north of Syria, northeast of Syria, which is from Menbej, liberating Kubani, then Menbej, then Raqqa, Tarqa, and now finally Derizor. So this is the terrorist we are now I mean, uh, defeating, and we could liberate all these places and ask the people of these cities to come back to the city, and their city is being all destroyed. No. So now how could we make the stability in the area if we could not make peace, if we couldn't support the local council who are there, if we couldn't make the system which could all these people who are diversities in this area, for instance, I can mention, in the northeast of Syria, we have Kurdish people, we have uh, Arabs, we have Syriacs, so multi-nation, we have Turkmen, and as well as we have multi-religions also, as Muslim Sunni, as Muslim Alawi, as uh, Christians, and Yazidis also. So this diversity, which is now in the northeast of Syria and north of Syria, should be, I mean, protected. How could we protect this? We can't do it as the same like before, before 2011, when Bas regime, the nationalistic Arab Baas was ruling there. They are only calling for one language, which is the Arabic language, and which is the regime, the authority will be controlling all the area. That time, Kurdish language, nobody, I mean, be allowed to speak Kurdish or have their Kurdish uh, schools. 
even the Syriac Aramaic language was not allowed. Even the Syriac people, they are known as a Christian's Arabs, not a Syrian Christian. So this is the differences now. What's going on in our, I mean, region? We built a plurality there. We built a democratic system which based on the equal genders for the women. We have 50% of the women participating in each of the institutions. And we built the coexistence with the, all the people who are diversity who are on this area together. For instance, in the councils, we have Kurdish, Arabic, Syriac will be leading the council. In the legislative council, we have the same. In the executive council, we have the same and so on. In all the institutions, we have this diversity will be shown there. Kurdish, Arabic, Syriac together leading these councils. So in this area, maybe if you find this diversity now in the other place in Syria, you, you are seeing now they are fighting each other. They are killing each other. The, the Sunni radical, Sunni Muslim, they are killing the Christians and they are killing the Alawis and they are killing the Kurdish people also because they are Kurds, Muslim, they say they are, you are infidels, you are not as Muslim because we are moderate secular people. So this is what's happening, but if you look to another picture in our area, you can find different things. You can find all these diversities working together, they are empowering their system together. They are trying to create a new system, democratic system, which is different from the Assad regime system that time. This is what we are working. So now we are afraid, really so afraid since two days that the bombing of Turkey against our region will not be find a place for this system to be there. The minorities will be threatened there. Christians will be threatened as it happened in Afrin. Afrin, it, it, even the same system was in Afrin. But what happened? The Christians from Afrin, who are about 3,000 people, and three churches were in Afrin, and the administration, they allowed them to be there, and they are empowering them, it has gone. These Christians down, they flew away, and they went to Aleppo or the other places, because the groups which entered Afrin, which is backed from Turkey, they are under the name Free Syrian Army, which they are not, of course. They are killing the Christians there. They don't want to allow because the Christians there, they are converted the Christians. They are Kurdish Muslim converted to Christianity. And according to Sharia law in Islam, they should be killed. But in our administration, we, we offer them every, I mean, support in order to practice their religion in a very, even they built the church there. But after African occupation, they rooted the churches. They destroyed everything, and the, church, the, the Christian people, they were again threatened, and they left the area. Same is happening as Yazidis also in Africa. In Africa, we have two, uh, 22 Yazidis villages. All these now they left, the people when it happened, the occupation to Africa, these people they left. So what? some of them are still there, now under the threats. So all these minorities in our region, if it happened like this, radical groups or which backed by Turkey and the Turkish, if it happens, so all the minority will be under threat. So now is it is from Africa? Some of them they came to Al-Shahba region, some of them they came to Al Jazeera, and now the people who are is it is in Africa itself, now they are forced to go to the mosque. And they say we are not Muslim, we don't know how to pray. They say, you have to pray, 
you have to be Muslim. And this is what's going on there, you know. And these, these now, they have been killed in Africa. We, I have some names, I, I have the names, I have documents that these, these people be killed by these groups. So if this happened in the east of Euphrates, which is in Minbij, in Kumbani, in Sarikangi, that would be the same scenario of Africa, would be repeated there and would be a threat to all the minorities who are there. The Christians, the Yazidis, and even the Kurdish people, because they are also targeting the Kurdish people of Afrin now. And now the people of Afrin, the people who are there, they, they left. Some of them, they are still there. My family, I am from Afrin actually. My family, they left because they are under threat, they killed there. So and now my house became the headquarter of these groups, jihadist groups, whatever they are. It is like that. So I know I can't go back to Africa. How can I go there? I know they will be killing me because they are asking about my family, about me, about everybody who is in the administration, democratic administration. They will not allow. So this system, which is, I mean, the system based on one religion, on one language, on one I mean, nation, it will not work for Syria. Syria is a diversity there. What we need to have a unity through this diversity. We should not neglect anyone of this, I mean, deny the, the, this diversity. We should have the rights for all the people who are in Syria, equal rights. Right. And this is what we are doing actually in Syria. Okay. Basad, talk, talk about this from the Christian perspective uh, yeah. as well. I'm sure you you echo much of what Sinan says. What's what's yeah. an added perspective? Yeah, and I would pick up uh, Sinan's thought about the uh, the way we want to accomplish unity in Syria, because under the Ba'ath regime for the last four four decades, uh, the big theme under the Ba'ath was <coughs> unity, national unity. Uh, they call it al-Wahda al-Watani, and the way this is accomplished is. Uh, through imposing uniformity on everybody. So whether you're a Kurd, Muslim, Christian, Arab, Syriacs, we are all Arabs. And uh, we all have to adhere to the symbolism of the Ba'ath party and Arabism. And what happens is the citizens of the country, they don't feel like they are actually citizens. They feel like they are uh, uh, like uh, you know, servant to the to, to the regime. Uh, so many Christians used to complain to me uh, that why we don't feel like we belong uh, in Syria, and, and and consequently they have been immigrating under Assad regime, while Assad re uh, regime was saying that he is the protector of the Christians. Now, if Assad is the protector of the Christian. It's only ruled Syria for 40 years. How come they survived 1400 years till Assad became president? <laughs> you know, and why their numbers dwindled under Assad? You know, they never felt that they belonged. Uh, they were the, the Arab identity imposed on them. In order to enjoy any privileges, they have to say that they are Arab Christians and never say that they are Syriacs or. Uh, uh, just like the Kurds, you know, couldn't even learn Kurdish in their mother tongue in school. So they grew up learning one language at home and go to school, it's another language that they have to learn. 
Now, our idea, our model, which is revolutionary for the, uh, for the region, is that the way we have unity is by acknowledging our different identities. And then once we give space to our different identities to express themselves and be respected, uh, then through this, we, feel we, we can feel we belong to this land. I'll give you an example. I, I lived in Syria, I was born in Syria, I lived in Syria for a long time, had to flee in 2011 uh, during the uh, revolution. After we established this model in the Northeast, I returned for a short one-week visit to attend the conference in the Northeast. And when I returned, I couldn't recognize that place. It's like somebody came and changed the decoration of your home, you know, while you're out. <laughs> so there was no pictures of Assad everywhere. <laughs> and uh, so it was kind of strange, but I liked it. But as they drove me, to my hometown, I noticed for the first time the sign that says welcome. And it said, welcome to Amishli in Arabic, in Kurdish, and in Syria for the first time. In 2600 years, Syriac language is official and it's written on the street in Syria. Imagine, this is a country that takes its name from the Syrians. And this is the first time. And I was surprised by the feeling I had when I, I saw this sign. For the first time of my life, at the time I was 67 years old, that I felt I belong here. I am from here. Imagine living in a country for like 57 years and you never feel like this is my place. I belong here. This is what our model is about, you know? It's about empowering these identities, recognizing these identities. Imagine, you know, living in a place or working in a place and nobody says your name. You know, how would you feel? <laughs> you know, they talk to you and never say your name. Or if they will say your name, they will give you a name that is not your name. So this is our different model. It's this, so it's, Unity through diversity, not the back party unity through uniformity and imposed uniformity. So this is one uh, important uh, theme uh, that we have uh, in our model. The other important thing is that we need to uh, pay attention to is what Syrians mean about democracy when they speak democracy. What the different Syrians mean about democracy. Like, after I left Syria in 2011, I joined the Syrian National Council. I was one of 33 people on its uh, general secretariat. And we were like the leaders of the revolution. And after a while, it was first time, for example, I, as a Syrian Christian coming out of Syria, had the opportunity to have a conversation with Muslim Syrians from the Muslim Brotherhood. So I'm checking to see if your mic is on. Is this mic on? I know he projects yeah, anyway. But yeah. Okay, but I just saw Katie put the window. I want to make sure we we're getting it for the online audience. And there, uh, as we talked, I realized that their idea of democracy was elections. We just go to the voting booth and elect, and then we have 
uh, vote, and then then we have uh, uh, democracy. But when you discuss with them uh, what will be in the constitution, it doesn't sound like democracy, especially for a Christian. Uh, you know, like for example, they want to have Sharia mentioned in the constitution, but not the Bible, for example. You know, uh, they want to specify the religion of the president, and he's not cannot be Christian, for example. Yeah, so this is the democracy they had uh, in mind. And then they wanted to write a constitution containing all this and put it to referendum, and of course, the majority will vote for it. Now, what I realize is before we have elections in Syria, and we have to uh, emphasize that democracy starts first with human rights. It doesn't start with elections. We have to agree on what are the rights of the most advantaged Syrians. What are the rights of the Kurds in, in, in Syria? What would be the rights of the Syriacs uh, in Syria? And this they refuse to discuss. Their idea is Assad should be brought down, and after Assad is brought down, we will discuss these details, which is another way of, uh, you know, arm-twisting politics, you know, that takes you into the democracy of the, or a democracy which is best described as dictatorship of the majority. So these are what the problems, why myself, and, and, my, and my allies, you know, we find in common. What are is bring us together in a vision, common vision. Another very important point is what Sina mentioned, is religious freedom. We cannot have a real revolution in Syria without religious freedom. The, the, the oppression culture, political culture, that we have in Syria and Iraq and many places starts with political oppression and monopoly. Unless we can reverse that and give the people the freedom to choose whatever religion they want to have, we cannot distance religion from politics. And if you can, we cannot distance and separate religion from politics, oppression will continue. So this is uh, another, I think, important point. Of course, I can go on. <laughs> For a long time, Syria is very complicated, but I chose these points to focus on because I think this is the heart of what we are trying uh, to do. Okay. <clears throat> as you said, it's a very complicated situation, as is Iraq, and there's much ground to cover. So let's just do like a lightning round, just 60 to 120 seconds, one or two minutes for some questions I want to raise. Uh, Loe, Bassam gave a very good overview of some of the Baathist. Uh, Neg uh, legacy in Syria, which is obviously a very negative one. Can you give us a brief overview, just one or two minutes maximum, on what's the negative about this legacy in Iraq? And uh, you know, so you and I have already discussed, we view Iraq and the mess it now is many times from the prism of the 2003 invasion of Iraq, which gets blamed for everything. Clearly, Iraq had issues before that. So can you explain a bit how that has yeah. contributed to that? Uh, I mean, the, the Ba'ath Party in Iraq and Syria, they, they had a it's a both party, the same ideology, the same, same. Uh, I mean, it's the same law and same thing they want to impose on people. Uh, there's no different, but they had a big differences like uh, who, who want to take over 
Syria or Iraq. You know, Saddam Hussein had a fight with his, uh, a lot of differences uh, in the opinion of who's going to rule. And, and, but the message is the same message. They have the same message that what they want to do. Uh, Paul, I want to say, like, living under any dictatorship, it's bad. Whether, who, whoever it is. And, and Saddam Hussein was one of the terrible, terrible, terrible dictatorships. But if you walk to streets in Baghdad right now, if you see the, the, the city, how it looks like, how dirt is, how, how destroyed it is, you will see people, people with with with, uh, with the certificate, with, with high education, selling uh, tomatoes, selling cucumbers, selling water, because they want to make daily living for the children. But most of those people during Saddam time, which was very bad time, I'm not saying it's, it's uh, they had jobs. The army had jobs. The, uh, thousands of people that were in the army having jobs. But, yeah, they, they imposed a lot of things, they, they destroyed the communities, everything must be Arab, Ba'athism, Arab uh, nationalist, whether it's a Kurd, Kurd, they had a long fight with, with, with Saddam Hussein, uh, most of the Christian Assyrian Chaldeans were joining the Kurds to, find, to, to fight him because they, they find that this is why everybody should have religious freedom, everybody should have uh, um, uh, ethnicity to, to, uh, to say I have a, I'm a Syrian or Chaldean or Kurd, whatever I wanted to say. If you, if you, I mean, the, the Christians in Iraq, in the plain area, if you go in and tell, if you tell ten of them, what's your name? Their name, they will say their names, but you will hear their name, their Arab names. Abdullah, Jamal, you know, Tawfiq, all those are Arab names. Because you are not allowed to name your child as, as, as you want. You will have, if you, if you, line up 50 women in, in, in name the plane, 40 are Mary, which you call in, in Arabic it's Maryam, and, and because only Mary was allowed to name your, your child during Saddam time, uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a Christian or the Kurd they have, yeah, because they used to live under a, a, a depression of Saddam Hussein. 40 will be Mary, another will be like something uh, Jamila or something like Arab names. Like those people, their, their, their dignity was taken from them because of that. But still, Paul, I want to say here, I want to say again, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm completely against the Saddam Hussein's regime. What they did to people was terrible. But if you tell me that the situation of Iraq is better, I will sell, I'll tell you now. Because, because the, 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 the Iraqi people, the, 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 from since 2003 till now, the people who were ruling the Iraq as a, as a government, we had opportunity to change ourselves. The, the Arabs, the majority of the Arab Sunni Shia had opportunity to form unified government can represent every single individual in Iraq. But that didn't happen. That didn't happen. You will, now you will see 99.99% .99 of the army is, is Shia. And then those people, they, some of them, they, you don't know, they are from some different uh, neighboring countries. Same thing in in, 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 uh, uh, in in the government. You have like min prime minister must be like a, a Shia, or fifteen of, of twenty ministries must be Shia. Uh, police mostly Shia. Why? Because because they mean like kind of. I don't like to say they 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 took over the country. They confiscated. But the country has a lot of foreign uh, other neighboring countries impact. So yeah, so. Thanks for the United States removing Saddam Hussein. We thought they're going to build it for themselves, but they they destroy a lot of things. And
Well, your, your emphasis on the, on the Shia and the influence of, of neighboring foreign countries uh, is a good segue into something else I want to discuss again just briefly because we have relatively limited time. And that's the role of Iran. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, in both countries, clearly. Um, I mean, we all know, and probably all of you here know, that Iran's goal is to build a, you know, a, a land bridge, so to speak, from Iran all the way to the Mediterranean. They have largely succeeded in doing that, partly because of America's neglect, strategic neglect, uh, and lack of foresight, in my view. Um, we have the Popular Mobilization Forces, the PMF, yeah. in, in Iraq, that uh, which are aligned uh, with the Iranians, funded by the Iranians. Um, and, and again, Syria, obviously, we've got thousands and thousands of, of uh, uh, revolutionary guards and others that are uh, running around Syria right now with Iranian um, <coughs> and going all the way through Lebanon. So, uh, Sinan and Bassam, uh, either one of you two want to start and talk about the role of Iran in Syria, um, and you don't have to, but if you can relate a little bit about what you're you're doing there, have you had any, uh, uh, how, how have you dealt with the role of Iran in Syria as you have tried to create what you're creating, that autonomous section of Syria? Um, just, I can say something you can also continue. <clears throat> just regarding to what uh, I said about the past regime in uh, Iraq, I think they are both, we have common things for this I mean, Ba'ath regime. Uh, <clears throat> the Ba'ath regime in Syria, we suffered a lot from them as a Kurdish people, I think. Uh, our identity has been withdrawn. So many people, 300,000 people without identity at that time, Syrian identities. Uh, people being in jail, suffered, killed in jail also. This is what happened during. So, Bas party in Iraq led to massacres like Halabsha and so on. And in Syria also, it led a lot of catastrophes to the Kurdish people and the other people also there. Like uh, the identities, like the Arab belt. They say the Arab belt, when they built, uh, like <coughs> they removed the people, the Kurdish people from place, and they send them to another people and they brought Arabs to this area. Demographic change. Yes, they saw the change in demography there and it is called the Arab belt that time. So both of them they led to this catastrophe for all the people in the area. Yes. Now when 2011 when it started the, the revolution in Syria, actually many people inter I mean interview I mean uh, I mean, act in Syria. Not only Iran we have, Russia we have, so, and, you know, many. Like Hezbollah. You know, uh, Iran, they supported the regime of Assad because of Shia. And this is the, the one. And they wanted to build a Shia crescent from Iraq to uh, Syria, to the, uh, Damascus, to Lebanon, in order to have, you know, different Tehran, actually from Iraq, Tehran, Iraq, and Syria to Lebanon. So this, what they call it, the Shia Crescent. And this is the, the line. And this line, now, I, I think United States, they realized that, and they wanted to stop this line in order not to be, I mean, you know, more strong. For, and this is now, till now, Iran is supporting the regime of Assad, I will not leave them, will not leave them. And even we say a lot of people they asking Iran should leave Syria, but Iran and even at Assad they say we ask Iran to come here and we must ask her to go out. And they always say, oh, the U.S. presence there is illegal, so they have to leave. This is what's going on. 
Iran actually now they are changing the demography in Syria. For instance, you go to Damascus. There is an area which is called Zainab city. Most of this now become Shia. From where they come, we don't know. And the Syrian people who are there, now they left. Either they left the country or they are, you know, where in other places due to the conflict and fighting. So in Syria now, a very dangerous thing is going on. It is the changing of the demography. From Alghuta, they brought people and brought them to Idlib. Uh, and from Alghuta, they brought them to, to Afrin. And the people of Afrin, they removed to another place. And now, the majority of Afrin was more than 95% Kurdish. Now, Kurdish people, they are now minorities. They are many less people. Whereas the Arabs, Sunni, they are now the majority of them. So this changing of the demography, which is happening, by the support of the actually Iran and the regime of Assad, this is very dangerous for our the future of Syria. So in this way, I think we can't solve the problem. To change the, the, the demography, you can't solve the problem. To bring some fighters who are radical Muslim fighters from one place, getting them to another place, it will not solve the problem. If we want to solve the problem, we have to know where is the wound and to put the solution for this world. And the world is there for the rights of the people, for the Kurdish, for the Syrian, for the Christians, for even the, the Muslim, whatever. I mean, this is what we need. But what we are seeing now, Iran is imposing everything on the uh, Assad region. Assad can't move without that. And even Russia, they have, but Russia till now, they don't have such agreement with the Iran as the Assad Maybe you have a Mr. Bassam, he can... Yeah, Bassam, go ahead. Yes, I mean, what you see now in Syria uh, being done by Iran and Turkey is really a reflection of how they understand politics historically. You know, this is how they understand it. You capture power, you change the demographic, <laughs> To your uh, advantage, you change the religion of the people, or you bring people and uh, in who are you know supportive of you. This is the idea. Uh, but, but for us as Syrians, we want neither, and we don't want this approach. And this is what is our model about. And our model, we have Arabs who the regime brought from Raqqa and settled them in Christians and Kurdish lands. And we didn't kick them out after we, you know, we have power. We thought these people have, you know, forced. They don't. We don't want them to pay for the regime uh, mistakes. You know, we just where would they go and live? We thought they. We will settle this problem later. But Turkey was accusing us of doing demographic change, and we didn't quite know why they were doing this. We thought it was just, uh, you know. Uh, media uh, campaign, but it's turned out to be much deeper because they want to practice this and they want to have an excuse why they're doing it. Because later Erdogan said, we want to uh, uh, return the original people to our dream. you know. Well, as Syriacs, we would love if this principle would apply, you know, <laughs> we'll get the Arabs back. <laughs> 
to where they came from, and everybody back in have Syria for ourselves, you know, maybe part of Turkey as well. <laughs> but this is not what they are doing. Why are you such a hero? So this is the culture, yeah. the political culture that we're stuck in between Turkey and Iran. This is where the American role becomes very important, because America could become the buffer for us Syrians from both Iran and Turkey as they compete for uh, influence and land in Syria because our new political culture is about pluralism, is about uh, religious freedom, is about gender equality and these two guys they don't like our culture. Not even the Assad regime of course like this culture because Assad has made comments where uh, you know, kind of support what Iran is doing. He said those who have fought in Syria, meaning mostly the Shia militias, uh, deserve to be in the land. You know, and what happens to the people who are kicked out of the land? That means, you know, they won't be allowed to return. So we, this is not what we want, and our only ally at this point is the coalition led by the U.S. Right. And, and we've discussed before, I know it's you at Sinan's contention, that it's in the U.S. national interest for obvious reasons that your experimenting pluralism and democratic governance there succeed, clearly, as an example to the rest of the Middle East. Um, so we've, uh, we should probably head to questions now, even though we could go for hours on this. Uh, there's so many different aspects to discuss, but again, we have limited time. Uh, and we have a, a crowd, but I, I know some of the people here probably have some pretty good questions. So, who wants to go first? I just had a question about Russia's role in supporting the Syrian army. Say that again. Russia's role? Russia's role supporting... Uh, mm. Just in general? Well, particularly supporting the, the Syrian regime. Do you have any specific... There or just well, I mean, it, it wasn't addressed, but that, that's a big deal, and it seems to be yeah. more and more unscotched each day. And yeah. the, the longer that we let it go unchecked, it's just it's going to become permanent, uh, you know, permanent presence. Okay, perhaps you could explain Syria's uh, Russia's role in abandoning Africa as part of that. Well, uh, the way we we see from our perspective Russia's role, it has been uh, negative. Because Russia wants to uh, uh, take Syria back to the way it used to be before 2011. Under the hegemony of Assad regime, who is even now more under the hegemony of Russia and, and Iran. Uh, and they've been critical of our uh, model not as much as others, like Turkey, for example, uh, but uh, what they did in Afrin is it was their responsibility to protect the air uh, in Afrin, but they removed their batteries, anti-aircraft batteries from Afrin, and allowed Turkey to, to move in. Uh, and their explanation was that, uh, that uh, the Northeast does not deserve their support because they have uh, put all their eggs in the American basket. This is what the way they put it, the Russians. Uh, so the Russians are not a, a player or an actor that is really can be used as a culture changer. 
they just want to play they just want to play traditional politics and they just want to have a base on the Mediterranean and get the oil from eastern Syria so that Assad could pay the bill uh, they have you know for helping him uh, and we don't see this is a role that is inspiring for us <laughs> or that would effectively be a, in the long term a positive change in Syria and in the Middle East. Uh, the, you know, the, the Russian uh, defense in many times of their involvement and in their military involvement in Syria is that you know, they are vulnerable to Islamic terrorism and they want to attack ISIS for that reason. Does that carry much weight with you? Uh, well, it doesn't carry much weight. I mean, what Russia is for is for its own uh, interests. And, and actually, Bashar al-Assad uh, and his regime uh, has made the Syrians in Syria pay dearly for Russia's interests. One day the details will come up, uh, you know, but we have paid the price of our uh, country being destroyed, you know, uh, a big, at least $300 billion to rebuild Syria, and Russia doesn't have the money to, <laughs> to rebuild Syria. They want the West, actually, to, to pay for it, and then they make a profit again. <laughs> Just one exactly. quick one about that. I mean, any any place in the Middle East, if you if you, if you leave any vacuum of political vacuum or power vacuum, will be filled by somebody else. The United States foreign policy failed in many countries, which is failed was well, failed by Russia and Syria, and it's going to happen in Iraq because they, they are bringing huge companies to invest in Iraq because they they have a, they don't have any rule or any law to to uh make those companies, like, if they pay anything to anybody, they will go to jail. No, those, those, those are foreign policies America, United States should look at, like, how they can fill those gaps again and, 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 and start from somewhere to not allow Russia, China influence to those countries. Because those people, they don't care about human rights, they don't care about religious freedom, all they care about their interests, as some, as some say. Bring their companies, they make a lot of money, a bunch of money, whoever dies, it doesn't matter. It's, it's no problem. That's why we see, we see Iran influence, we see Russian influence, we see Chinese influence now in Iraq. I have a list of few companies, if I name it, you will go, oh wow, how did that happen? Because American companies are not going there because of corruption. So we need to have a leverage and, and fix that. How can we fix the, the corruption in Iraq so those companies can start going and, and, and do something for the, for the, for the, for the people for themselves, for the country, not for the, my company or your company or my uncle or your cousin, you know? Yeah, so. Other questions? I'm sure we have more. Yeah, in the back corner. Um, Mr. Bassam, you um, spoke about your model for a future Syria and in order to move forward with the situation at hand, um, we need to look into. Yeah, sorry, can you ID yourself as well? Uh, That's my name is Suzanne Lake. Um, I am an Iranian mm -hmm. And uh, I did my master's uh, in the democratization theory of regional autonomies. So okay. regional autonomies and the way where the Kurds find themselves in the future Middle East um, is what I focus on predominantly. Um, we've seen the example of Iraq post Saddam Hussein's regime. In 2005, all parties, all players in Iraq came together to rewrite the constitution for a future Iraq. That, in my opinion, was not very successful as the situation 
continues to to be one of deprivation and depression in the country as the sides cannot come together to unify given that you know they acknowledge their differences. What makes you believe that the example of Syria and your model will be more successful than what the people in Iraq have done? Well, uh, uh, there is no guarantee uh, you know, that it will be more successful, but that doesn't uh, uh, deprive us from the right to try. We should try. And I think also we are all the time trying to learn from what happened in Iraq because it's very similar. It's not exactly the same. Uh, I mean, I know us in the Syriacs National Council, we looked at what was happening to the Syriacs in Iraq and try to do things so we don't suffer the same way we, they suffer. Uh, so we have, you know, then we had the uh, Syriacs who decided to start the police, to start the, uh, you know, Syriac uh, military council. And we're trying to be, uh, us as politicians, to be involved uh, uh, in advocating politically, not just for Syriacs, but for pluralism. And uh, so, will we succeed? I um, I can't guarantee that we will succeed. And you are right. We have uh, throughout the Middle East, we have constitutions that are just incomplete. You know, even Assad in his constitution says freedom of expressions, you know, freedom to demonstrate. But look what he did. He killed demonstrators. <laughs> you know. And the Soviet Union had the same <laughs> Right. So, but I think since we have a revolution and uh, we have a country that wants to change, it's, it's, it's an opportunity that we try. And uh, but whether we will succeed or not, it, it's not a guarantee. But what can be said positively is you now have a record of several years of working together, yes. uh, which is a bit different from Iraq. Yeah, go ahead, Sam. Yes. I think. Um, we have hope in that because we practice it now. This is the difference. In Iraq, it was not practiced together to work. Here in our region, Kurds, Arabs, Turkmens, uh, Syria, Christians, Muslims, all together, we practiced it since 2014 when we declared the self democratic administration. Till now, we are working together without any problems. And we are empowering ourselves. I will just mention one small thing. In the beginning, I was in the, that time, 2011, the co-president of the uh, uh, council, of the People Council of Rojava at that time. So it was only established for the Kurdish people that time, in the beginning of the revolution, you know. Then we think, how could we involve the other people also with us? Not only the Kurdish people, it should be for the other, because we know our neighboring, we have Syriac, we have Christians, we have Arab. How can we live alone? You know. So we started to, I mean, that time contact the uh, Christian people who are in Derek and so many in our places. That time, most of them they started to leave the country, and we saw their number being reduced. I mean, a lot of people they left to Europe, and you know, when they say, "Oh, war started." So Christians, they have to leave because they are minority, they are afraid what's happening, and so on. So that time we went and meet, the first time we met the 
Syriac Christians in Syria. It was in 2012 because of, we started in 2011 in December. So in 2012, the beginning, we went and met them. And they said, what are you doing? They said, we can't live here because these people, if the Islamic radical come and, you know, what can happen? They will kill us. We are, you know, minorities. We say, don't go. Don't leave the country. If you leave the country, and it happened years ago, many of the villages in Syria are Christians. It is back in town. Nobody is there. So we told them, please don't leave. We need you because we are together, have to make for the picture, which is the diversity is there. This is what we need. We don't want to need to, I don't want, I mean, want to see the, 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 the houses, which is neighboring house is empty because they were Christian, they left. And we know everybody know, whoever left, they will not go back. And this is what happened. So they say, how can we guarantee our safety? We say, we have our forces. We start to establish our forces that time. Let us do it together. So it like this happen. Some of them they start to also yes or no, we are afraid. In this way, we, we told them, you stop your people from leaving the country. You have to be together. We are the origin of this land. Kurdish live together. Syriac with Christian, they were together. And in this way, really, we could do it. And we succeeded. Four years now, more than four years, we are doing together. We never fight each other. We are supporting each other. Even when the Jabhatul Nusra and Qaeda, when they come to Sarikami in 2012, that time, who liberated the churches there? The first thing they, they attacked that time, the church in Sarikami. I mean, Ras it is called in Arabic. So, first time they entered there, they church, they destroyed the church, they looted it, and the, the Christian they left it. So who liberated it? YPG, the Kurdish fighter. That time we didn't have still SDF. So they liberate these churches and they rebuild and restore the churches and ask the people to go to the church again. We liberate them again. This is what happened. So seeing that this happened, everybody will trust you. So if there is a trust. If there is the coexistence, if there is, you know, empowering me and I'm empowering you, so that will be, I think, the guarantee how to success in this project. And we need, actually, we need the support, of course, from the United States. And now we are suffering. I would like just to say something here. What is post-ISIS? What will happen? You know? Post-ISIS, now it's going to, I mean, finish. But still, maybe you have seen that recently ISIS come back again and they got some land from the SDF and they, you know, killed many of them. And so we are afraid that ISIS will come back. So with, with the United States support, I think with the international coalition, we can get, have a guarantee to have the stability in this area. Even post-ISIS, we need the support of the U.S. This is what we need, actually. Okay, I think we have time for about one more question. Go ahead. You, two. No yes. microphone. No, no microphone. No microphone. Do you okay. want to speak up and identify yourself, please? Yeah, they, they have a little bit more on the water. You know, the uh, Kurds had a lot of great aspirations a year ago, but the United States really has not helped them fulfill their aspirations. 
So haven't there been any moves recently by the Kurds really to go away from the United States and more cooperation with the Syrian regime, like the dam of Takbar out of uh, Raqqa, I think they're building the dam together. I heard some Kurdish fighters were going to Idlib to fight with the Syrian army. Uh, and just generally speaking, uh, I believe the Kurdish police forces are no longer identifying as Kurds. They're identifying as Arabs in some of the cities that they helped liberate. So isn't there more of a cooperation now between the Kurds and the Syrian government? Yeah. You know, as for the relation with the government, actually, we don't have this relation, but we want to get a solution for the Syrian crisis. And we say, because we are excluded from the Geneva talks for the sol I mean, solution, political solution for Syria, and the north of Syria Kurds or north of Syria people altogether were excluded from this. Even in Geneva talk, even in Sochi, even in in whatever, in, in the constitution group also, which is now preparing to have the constitution for Syria, we are excluded. So we found that if we want to have, I mean, uh, our, you know, influence, we have now. We have now actually uh, controlled 30% of the uh, Syrian territory, you know. The regime, they threaten us, and they say, after Idlib, we are coming to the east of Euphrates. This is the regime so, uh, minister of foreign affairs, he said that. And he said, either, otherwise, we have to make a dialogue together. We prefer dialogue, we don't prefer to have war and conflict, of course. We know that the end of war, it will be dialogue and negotiation. And for that, we said, we are ready to have this, I mean, this dialogue with the government. And we started it. And we say we are ready to have it. And the delegation from the Arabs, the Kurds, the Syrian, all together they went to Damascus and made many meetings with the government. But the government still have the same mentality of before 2011. They won't make a reconciliation, control all the area with the same mentality, without any change in the system. So then if I, if I think, after seven years, Many people being, you know, left the countries, a million of them, and, and you know, now more than half million be killed. For what? To go back to the same point? No. So we say we have to change this system. We want a democratic system. For that they stop it now. Now they stop it. But for your question, as the, the Kurdish people, they are in Idlib, they are not. No. It is not true. Nobody, I mean, the Kurdish forces, they, nobody went to There are a few. A few dozen ones. No, it is not the Kurdish, but they are the Idlib uh, military council, Idlib military council who was in Minbij, and when they heard that, they went, they wanted to go there. It is, they are not Kurdish, not SDF, you know. Uh, this is what happened. And uh, I think. Okay, I, th I think we are out of time. We could go on for a long, long time. We have only touched on maybe 5% of what we could have touched on uh, in both countries. So let's join uh, join me, please, in thanking our panelists. And feel free to come up afterward and ask some questions. Personally.